Welcome to the Research Works podcast. My name is Dr. Dana Poole and I get the privilege of bringing to you a very special series this week. I am here in Slovenia at the European Academy of Childhood Disability interviewing the researchers and presenters about their work. This is very exciting and I can't wait for you to delve into this whole research conference series. We hope you enjoy the series. Welcome back everyone to the Research Works podcast, a very special edition as we're in EACD in Slovenia 2023. So now I have a wonderful poster to talk to you guys all about. It's a great poster. I feel like it's something everyone needs to know about. So our guest today is Dr. Natalie de Beclerc from KU Leuven and University of Geneva. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the <laughs> invitation. And uh, yeah, pleasure to talk about our poster with you. Oh, it's lovely. So much work goes into a poster. Every time I look at someone's poster and I see a graph, having done many graphs before it represents maybe 10,000 hours before you can put up one graph <laughs> to show the result and, and uh, there's so much to it but the topic we want to talk about today and really caught my eyes because it's about morphological muscle growth in infants and toddlers a longitudinal study and this is part of your PhD. Yes it was indeed. Yeah. Oh fabulous fabulous yeah. so Let's start back with why you decided to go into this area. What drew you into this area of muscle morphology? Yes, yeah, so I was always fascinated by seeing babies and infants moving around. Yeah. And then I realized, okay, I did physical therapy. And what do you need for your movements? <laughs> you need your muscles. They yes. provide the force of moving. Yeah. So I was always wondering, like, okay, how do they look? And, and how can we measure how they grow over time? Because yeah they probably need them in their growth of also their anthropometric measures like body yeah. weight and body uh, length so I was a bit yeah my curiosity like how do they grow yeah um, and especially how do they grow over time so right. that's also why we did a longitudinal study I love that that's great and in our team we had already expertise by using um, three different ultrasound technique yes which so normally children need to go to the MRI but yes. we found a way to do it in the hospital it's portable it's cheap and the children love it because you put some ultrasound <laughs> gel on their body it's like a massage yes. so all the infants were like very relaxed that's by these, doing great. these measurements that's great so we also found that it's feasible to do these great observations of yeah. muscles so it so. sounds like your team was just ready to go like you had a really nice team that had all these skill sets yes and yes we had, yeah. but not on infants so I was the first ah, in our team well that done had, yeah because I also had some experience at the neonatology unit so okay. I was able to handle this position and, yeah, and, and sure. so because it's it's not like an older <laughs> infant so you should be a bit more ex- expertise in, in, in handling, handling yeah, how, yeah it's very specific and how to calm them down and, yes. and get some distraction with some toys or yes. movies or songs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's no shortage of knowing all your nursery rhymes right so I love how you described how you came into this area so you're interested in muscles you've got a background working with infants and neonatology unit you've got this great team now so let's talk about this really specific study because yeah. I think for me when I know the results of it which we'll talk about towards <laughs> the end it's it's so significant for so many of us working with children so tell us a bit about the population who were the kids that you were really investigating yeah. for this particular study yeah, so we tried to start from the age of six months okay so very wow, young very young but we want also to have the time that they're already moving so that they use the muscles um, up to the age of three years. So we focused on really young children, um, but in a phase that they're developing a lot. So we had the idea we should do it in a longitudinal study. Such a good idea. uh, an interval of 
six months um, mm. because then we know like the development could already yeah pro progress over six months so ah. we should have multiple assessments per child that was right. our idea yeah um, and then we want to try to understand what is the neurotypical yes. developing of a muscle so yes. we also included these type of children or this, okay. this population comparison to then the children with a high risk for or already the diagnosis of spastic cerebral palsy. Right. Okay. So that was our target yeah, group. Yep. Um, so this target group, so it was spastic cerebral palsy, so it could have been either a unilateral or a bilateral. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I imagine at six months, not every child would have been diagnosed with cerebral palsy no, not yet. yet. Yeah. yeah, no. So we started that they should have a a brain lesion okay. preferred on MRI or ultrasound okay. imaging so that we have a kind of yeah, clinical Good, sign yeah. or history yeah. that could make them suspect for this diagnosis. Yeah. So the high risk group yes, too. Yes, especially the, mm. the, the high, highest risk. Yeah, some of them are also yeah. prematurely born, sure. but some of them could also have like sure. an injury yeah. of the brain at the time that they were a term born. So that's yeah. quite unique then, the fact that you did include children at high risk as well as, as yeah. already a diagnosis. Yeah, we, we, it's, it's needed to do it like yeah. that because we know that the diagnosis are mostly confirmed at a later age because then symptoms are more sure. present. Yep. So we realized that we should need this at high risk diagnosis yep. to include them. But we had also children who in the end did not have diagnosis. Okay. So we excluded them for the final analysis. Okay. So we had a large <laughs> inclusion yeah, yeah. in the beginning, but yep. then we had also luckily for the children yeah. had a dropout because sure. they had a normal or they go into normal okay. development. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So you carried, you did measures longitudinally yes. so up to the age of three years yes. yeah but the measures are done every six months yeah wow yeah. <laughs> that's we a lot tried. of measurements yeah. wonderful so how many children were part of this study so we in the end ended up with 20 uh children with the typical development okay. and 24 children in the end with like the confirmed diagnosis okay. of CP. Yeah. Um, so that was the, That's quite the group. a decent number for yeah, the study yeah. and for a longitudinal follow-up yeah, to yeah, keep we, all that we too. We had up to 130 measurements <laughs> <laughs> that we included in the final analysis. Yeah, so, sure, so said, sure. Yeah, we had more yeah. measurements, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was in our final analysis. That's great. And so your target muscle that you did the 3D muscle ultrasound for, yeah. what was that? From the medial gastrocnemius muscle. Medial gastro. And yeah. why do we choose medial gastro? I think that's always an important point yeah, to bring up. Yeah, so in the clinical picture of CP, we mm -hmm. often see that I have more issues at the level of this muscle. Okay. Uh, it's also much approachable by ultrasound because it's a superficial mus muscle, sure. so we can observe that clearly with yeah. the ultrasound. Yeah. Um, the quite clear borders that you can see yeah, to the ultrasound. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, I can see them more clearly yeah. than, for example, the soleus muscle. It's also very important for these okay. children, but it's more deeper muscle, so it's the quality of your ultrasound of course, should be high enough. So yeah. that was um, yeah, the reasons that we... And okay. it's also often target for a, a muscle that should need treatment at a later age, mm. so that's also important to know before they even receive treatment yeah. that we measure this Because a common treatment would be botulinum toxin Indeed. type A, right? Indeed. And sometimes yes. you have muscle lengthening too. So yeah. it does or go through a lot of change. Lower leg costs. Of, of or course. These yeah. Or yeah. Uh, orthosis that they will wear. So it's all before this type of treatment. Okay, so, so all of these children who went the ultrasound, none of them went on to use, like they weren't using ankle foot orthoses uh, yet. Not yet. No one had some, some of them maybe in the la uh, latest Live. measurements, okay. but not at right. the beginning and Okay. And none of them had botulinum toxin injections. Oh, okay. So it's really the 
it's a very clean yeah Yeah, right so we have to say yeah but it gives us a really good idea about what the natural development yeah that was really the 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 aim of this study yeah Yeah, okay so now that we've teased it out let's finally Mm. get to the results i can't wait to talk about the results (laughs) but it's good to go through the background to appreciate the results Mm, so tell me now about what your main result what was the main finding the main finding was if you look to muscle size Mm -hmm. expressed with a muscle volume or a cross-sectional area in mid-pally, uh-huh. then we found that at the age of 12 months, children with CP has a lower muscle size wow. in compared to typical developing children. And we're confirming actually the literature because it's yeah. described already, yeah. uh, but it was only described with cross-sectional data sets, so a lot of children with only one measurement, but by combining this with longitudinal data, uh-huh. we could observe the same Observation, right? So it's so really consistent. Yeah. And do we know how much smaller it is compared to typical development? Was that part of a measure, or is it you can just tell overall statistically? Well, it's forty up to forty percent smaller. Forty yeah, percent smaller yeah. by so, twelve months. Yeah. So it's actually like I think, if I remember correctly, it's like five milliliters in children with yeah, uh, cerebral palsy, okay. and up to ten, uh, up to uh, eight to nine milliliters. Wow. For, yeah. So that says a lot, doesn't it? If you if it's already smaller, this is in the absence of any intervention this is in a group of children who I think we sort of talked about them being more classified GMSS level 1 2 2 and 3 so more likely to be active yes yeah. so but they're already exhibiting that much of a deficit by 12 months what are you hypothesizing the reasons for that are because that's quite a big difference yeah yeah. and I need to add maybe additionally that we also look to growth after this age of 12 Ah, months and what we then observe is that they're growth rates yep. so the increase in muscle volume with their increasing age is similarly oh, okay. so we observe that they start lower yes. but then they progress in the same rate except for the children with the highest gymnasts levels so right. if you if you visualize this you yes. see like parallel yes. lines okay except for the children with a higher gymnasts level they think actually level three the three they yep. actually have a lower muscle growth rate right. so already at these youngest ages they don't have the same rate of growth. Yeah. So one of our hypotheses is that's related to their brain injury. Okay, of course. Maybe the, yeah. the earlier the lesion, yep. the earlier the the processes of damages to muscle mm. innervation, muscle growth, mm-hmm. but also the way of moving or the mm. amount of moving, mm. how much they activate their muscle could also have an influence on how much the muscle is able to grow sure. or you have these yep. stimuli to grow yep. like mechanical loading. Yep. Could sure. be an issue of, yeah. or could yeah be what you need for having this muscle growth. Yeah. and I yeah. guess when you're thinking about the cortical spinal tracts, because yeah. this is spasticity, right? So we are talking about the input, the feedback. Yeah. Therefore, uh, you know, it's interesting that the GMS level threes are growing at a slower rate, which makes sense of what you're just saying in terms of the the lesion. Yeah. Um, but GMS, what I find interesting is GMS level one and two, they were still developing at a pretty good rate. They just yeah, started yeah, slower, yeah, or yeah. smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why we think that early intervention yeah. should target this because they probably start from a lower level yeah. and, okay, they are up to a growth rate similarly as mm. their typical developing peers. Mm. But I know from another study that I performed when we did a longer follow-up yeah. that at a certain point this will also be in an like there will be a break point sure and okay. after that they will decrease in their their muscle growth rates yep. so we should have like the optimal condition or try to have them at yep. these youngest ages yep. in an optimal condition start them well yeah yeah, yeah because yep. we know at a later age yep. the spasticity will be increasing yes. because 
we observed in our youngest children that spasticity is probably not the most important impairment mm. at these youngest mm. ages, but it will come at a later age. Mm. So we should try to have this muscle in an optimal yeah, condition. Yeah, that's good. Another, it's just another reason why early intervention is so important. Yeah. yeah. So what would your take-home be for clinicians? If we as therapists are working with these children we ha- and we have the opportunity to work with them very early on, what should we be doing? Don't forget to move with <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also with the GMSS ones, it's mm. it's important that they reach their motor milestones, but try yeah. to involve this muscle growth. Yeah. Um, and what we also have as a hypothesis is that nutrition sure. could be an important influence on this muscle growth. Yeah, yep. So that that this should also be follow up in yeah. from the very young ages, yep. like how how do they how is the eating behavior? Is it Great. feasible? Do they yeah. have maybe need more proteins for yeah, example sure. that could stimulate Grow this muscle, muscle growth yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i think that's often a part that um, doesn't get thought of as much because potentially a lot of these parents and therapists are so focused on motor development at that time that, you know, other aspects like sleep, you know, we grow when we yeah, sleep yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, our indeed. nutrition and, and well-being is all very important. So it's a very holistic yeah, approach, absolutely. even when we're yeah, talking yeah. about a muscle. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I like how it's a great call for, for clinicians to go, okay, we need to, the way muscles grow is we need to load the muscle. So yeah. we need them to, to weight bear, we need them to safely be able to yeah. put weight through so that they can stimulate growth yeah yeah and that's that's i think a, a bit also discussion in which type of intervention do we need because mm. like walking is not what they it's a, it's not appropriate for an age of two Six or three yeah. <laughs> yeah so but what if we don't let them have the experience of weight bearing as you said mm. so it's yeah, yeah we're not there yeah. what is the ideal yeah. intervention yeah. so maybe via nutrition or yeah. growth factors or yeah. other type that you can stimulate muscle growth in relation to their normal or yeah. the motor development yeah. of milestones yeah. that are more age yeah. appropriate so and I like how that relates to a talk we did with um, Ginny Palig uh, not so long ago and she was talking about you know um, trying to get children to do things on time because really though children might be standing say 10 or 12 months they're kind of weight bearing and standing in some kind of way earlier on they're kind of testing it out in a supportive way they're not fully weight bearing yet but that does happen naturally you don't just go from sitting to suddenly standing there is a process Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. that so I like how you said well we need to find that intervention and no it's not appropriate to be walking yet but what can we do to find a way to safely start to weight bear because I think they spend too much time on the floor. Yeah, You're not yeah, going to yeah. get and that kind of thing. We also too. realize that maybe they don't have all the drive yeah. to move. Yeah. And yep. that's something we should maybe so stimulate hard. and yeah. could also yep. be sufficient for their muscles. That's great. <laughs> yeah. You need your muscle power to yep. to to go on um, mm. and explore mm. the world. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And this is why, uh, you know, research on so many different levels is so important. You know, we, we can often talk about, you know, what the goal-directed practice is and, you know, there's all of that, but we do need to understand the, the structures that we are yeah. influencing as well because that's part of the body. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Congratulations on this body of work. Congratulations on getting everything done for your PhD. That's amazing. And, you know, we're just really grateful we had some time to talk to you today about your lovely poster. Thank you. Thank you very much for this talk. It was lovely. Oh, I enjoyed good. it as well. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, to all of our listeners, remember, you can just head to our website, researchworks.net, and we'll put some links there for you so you can refer to some of the work that Natalie's been doing. But uh, that's all for now. And we'll talk to you guys again with another lovely 
lovely presenter. So speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.